um, screaming and bleeding. What are you doing here? Why don't you take this bottle and go to bed? Paradiso. Scrambled rap like an animal, but I'm a mammal. Wait. Anyway, <laughs> um, welcome to the second episode of Cinephile Parody. So I am your host, Quaid Kirshner. I'm David Collins. That is correct. And tonight we will be talking about the theme of pollution through the two movies that David and I have picked for one another. So I think we're going to start with my film because we don't want to end this podcast on a negative note, but... For all our viewers that maybe recognise what David was rapping at the beginning, I'm sure you can guess quite well what the last film is that we will be reviewing. Anyway, without further ado, should I start, David, or is there anything you'd like to say? No, straight in, no kissing. Yep, no, how are you? How's your week been? Let's oh, get on with it. I, okay, well, how's your week been, David? Thanks, Quaid. It's been <laughs> lovely. How's yours? Um, let's not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, yeah, it's been an experience. Beautiful. Yeah. So you, you want to you wanna cheer us up by talking about First Reformed? Well, yes, that is the film that I have chosen for us to watch um, under the theme of pollution. So First Reformed came out in 2000. 2017 and it was directed by Paul Schrader. Now, that's quite cool because Paul Schrader actually wrote the screenplay for Taxi Driver by Martin Scorsese. Did you know that? I only knew that because I read the trivia 15 minutes ago, but yes, I, I know that now. But you didn't watch the movie 15 minutes ago, hopefully. You no, 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 You no, watched no. the movie last night. No, uh, was it last night that I messaged you asking <laughs> what you've done to me? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, pretty much what First Reformed is about is Ernst Toller is a pastor of a small church in upstate New York who experiences an existential crisis after an unnerving account encounter with an environmental activist and his pregnant wife. So that's like a quick, you know, plot synopsis of the film. I could go on and on. Interesting facts about the film, it was actually shot in 20 days on a $3.5 million budget. And I don't know about you, David, but I feel like half of that budget would have gone to Ethan Hawke, who plays Ernst Toller, and Amanda Seyfried, who plays the character of Mary, who's the pregnant wife that I just mentioned earlier. And she was really pregnant in the film. I didn't realise that wasn't a prosthetic bubba. That was a real one. And that's funny that you say that, because that leads into my next fact of the It's almost film. like we, we read the same <laughs> I, trivia I, I know. Um, yeah, so Amanda Seyfried was actually pregnant during the production of the film, and Paul Schrader was quite surprised when she showed interest for the movie, because she was pregnant. So he decided to make the character of Mary pregnant. For his screenplay. It's funny, I read that and I was wondering, I wonder what the original story was if she wasn't pregnant, because that's such a crucial part of... This, it is! Of, of, it's yeah. such a crucial part. And apparently also he didn't realise how much the film was similar to Taxi Driver until after he had finished it, which I'm like, dude, you must be so unaware, because wow, wow, <laughs> wow. Anyway, the, the last fact that I will mention mm -hmm. is, can you guess who... Um, Paul Schrader had in mind for the role of um, Pastor Ernst Toller before Ethan Hawke. Was it Al Gore? No. Any other guesses? Um, goodness gracious. Oh, who else is from on the Sea Shepherd? Um, oh, it wasn't Leonardo DiCaprio, was it? No. Okay. No. Do you want me to tell you or you want to keep guessing? Um, no, I think that everyone's going to get bored if I keep guessing different okay. people that look good in a dog collar. So, he was thinking of either Jake Gyllenhaal or Oscar Isaac. 
And, but he decided to go with Ethan in the end because he is 10 years older and has more of a world weariness about him. Yeah, he certainly, <laughs> he certainly does have a world weariness about him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, why do you say that? Well, this is the sort of film that um, it sort of feels like everyone who is talking sounds like they have a cold. Have you noticed that? <gasps> All the dialogue is... I did not notice that. If it, like this, No, but like it makes sense about, now that you say it. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it reminded me very much of, as far as tone and palette was concerned, Manchester by the Sea. Yes, the palette's very... It uses cold, well, cool colours. Yeah. It's a cool temperature. You see a lot of beiges, a lot of whites, a lot of blues. That's the main colour scheme of this film, yeah. which I think works perfectly. Very sparse, very bleak, and just a, a bunch very of people bleak. that oh never ever smile about anything. Um, which, you know, is, is on theme with the movie, but... Um, oh my god, that's an understatement. It should be called, like, First Morbid or Morbid Reformed. I think, yes, no, definitely should have been called Morbid Reformed. <laughs> reformed. Way. It would have been taken just as seriously. Um, First Reformed is actually the name of the church, which... Um, Ernst Toller looks after, but the church is more of a, if anything, it's more of a tourist attraction because this church is over 250 years old and tourists come through to look at the history of the church and shop at the souvenir store. Yeah, so I, I to start off with, I wasn't sure what the tone of the film was going to be because it sort of opens with, um, what's his name again, the priest? His name's Ernst Toller. So Ernst um, is writing in his diary talking about how in a year he's going to burn his diary and it's mm. an exercise in, um, I guess, catharsis maybe? I'm not sure. Yeah. But, um, but then it introduces, uh, what's the name of the activist? gentlemen oh okay so amanda seyfried who plays the pregnant wife yeah. her husband in the film is the environmental activist and his name the actor's name is philip ettinger and i've never heard of him before or seen him act in anything but he the character's name is michael Mensah. michael gotcha yeah, michael we'll so michael. yeah michael gets out of prison after on compassionate leave because his wife is pregnant um, yeah. grounds of compassion sorry compassionately uh, yeah and i wasn't sure what tone that the film was going to take because mm. an obstacle i have to get over is being cynical about the position of the church in films because <laughs> it's it, yeah because well, that's a chip i have on my shoulder it seems to be pigeonholing activism with extremism, which are different things. That's very true, actually. But as the film went on, I understood why that was. But in the very beginning, it seemed like this, there was that slight smugness of the assuredness of the preachings of the church, which made a lot of sense later on. When, oh, of course, when they refle reflect the hypocrisy. Well, hypocrisy it, it, exactly. It, yeah. The fact that, like you said, the church is more of a tourist attraction. It's also um, more of a corporation. Um, it's, uh, yeah, treated as a business and even though other people who have interests in the church get upset when he does things that they view to be political in regards to climate change. Should uh, we maybe kind of explain how um, Ernst meets the wife and the husband? Please, because I'm drowning in the sludge yeah, of this of this. Yeah, girl. yeah, yeah. So pretty much um, Ernst meets this environmental activist because his wife Mary always attends his church services which to be honest the church services are so depressing because there's like three or four people in the room every time Ernst holds a church service so it's like oh that's that's a bit depressing but then um pretty much Mary comes up to him and says hey look my husband he's having a few issues can you please talk to him and then through that Ernst finds out that he's um you know he 
He's, 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 um, essentially, for me, one of the main themes of the film is loss of faith. Um, yes. And that's not just religious faith, it's faith in your, the cause that you believe in. Because Michael has lost faith in his activism for prevention, you know, work against climate change, I guess, because he, he's essentially given up hope. He's this defeated man, he's completely crumbled, and his wife is pregnant, but he wants her to have an abortion yeah. because yeah. he doesn't want Thanks her to bring a, a child into the world that he views as being doomed. He essentially doesn't want to set up his child to fail and thinks that it's immoral to bring a child into the world. Yeah, because he's gone down a black hole and he's done a lot of research on where we're at in the world and he does mention quite a few times 2050 is the year that we need to all watch out for because that's when things are going to be like really fucked. He's right, end of story. No. Yeah, end, um, end of story. <laughs> he's absolutely right but I think that there is a warning about being submerged in the thing that drives you especially if it's bleak because when we see his house it's just plastered with notes about how soon until the polar caps melt and um, the backdrop of his computer is a starving polar bear and it's understandable that if he's got n nothing to balance out the, the, yeah. the bigger picture that he's losing himself to, it's easier to fall into this place of giving up, essentially. And not even, like, his unborn child could give him, like, hope for a future. And that kind of makes me question some of the characters I couldn't quite relate with because I couldn't, I didn't understand what their objectives were. I couldn't quite understand why they were doing what they were doing or what their relationships were. Like, Mary, who's played by Amanda Seyfried, she just seems too accepting of everything that goes on. This, this, like, is, this is the thing. I felt that Mary, for me, was a little bit too much of a plot device. I mean, the, oh. the, the women in this film seem to be vehicles for the men to oh, experience That is so true. That is so true. So there's the other woman that works in the church that he turns to. She's trying to get close to him and look after him. You this need to explain. So, yeah, the priest... The, the priest, has, yeah. So the priest has lost, um, becomes a priest after he loses his son in the Iraq war and it, yeah. it breaks up his marriage, the loss of the child. And then there is a woman in the church who we're not sure what their relationship is. I think is. they slept with each they other once. They probably slept with each other once yeah. while he was still married because there's an implication that he blames that action on him losing his son in some meta way as if I now deserve pain because I betrayed my family. That seems to be the implication. Of really? One. No, I, I got, what I got from it was that he was always encouraging his son to join the army. His wife was opposed to it. Then his son part, like died in the army and then his wife never forgave him for it. And then that broke up their marriage. He ended up getting involved in the church. First Reformed is actually run by a bigger church company called yes. Abundant Life. So yes. think of it as Hillsong, essentially. So Abundant Life, Hillsong. And um, the character's name is Esther and Esther's played by, her name was Victoria Hill the actress was she's still alive Victoria Hill plays <laughs> Esther and where, where are we going with this? So she does. She does a wonderful job of portraying this person who is doing her best to uh, get make, with him. Well, not just get with him, but like care for him. She's worried yes. about his psychology because he can. She can tell there's something wrong with him. It's clear that he's drinking a lot. He's yes. also experiencing health issues that later on turn out to be. I think it's implied that it's some sort of cancer, but it, it some um, sort of prostate or bowel issue is happening. Exactly. But every time she tries to get close to him, he is cold and lashes out towards her. I think because he finds her overbearing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But I don't think that 
the movie is very sympathetic to her as a character. You know what? You're, you're so right. It isn't. It's kind of a bit of a fuck you. It's as if like Paul Schrader had someone in his life that he wanted to put in that movie to be like, this is what I experienced from my perspective. And oh, I hate you. And this is me like expressing my frustration towards you as a person. Or, or he just needed characters to bring certain um, expressions out of his main character. And she was one of them because he needed mm. to be, he needed to be this, like it needed exposition. It needed to be explained why because you know again as i mentioned for me one of the themes was loss of faith and he seems to be losing his faith in but not so much in religion but in the church as an institution exactly Um, and why is that we should probably tell the viewers why is that you please you want me to say yes well because he essentially finds out that abundant life which is you know the hill song that big church company which owns his little touristy church they're actually partners with a company that create a lot of i guess pollution and waste called is it called balk or is that um does does b-a-l-q stand for something or is that just how it's just called balk i assumed that was the name of a corporation but i did yeah okay so yeah the name of the corporation is balk and Obviously, when... Spoiler alert. So, pretty much, Michael... This whole podcast is a spoiler. Yeah, this whole podcast <laughs> is a spoiler. Michael kills himself in the end because he can't handle... Michael kills himself in the beginning. Well, yeah, sorry. Michael, yeah, sorry. Michael <laughs> kills himself in the beginning of the film. And then, through that, Ernst ends up getting in possession of a, of a lot of his items, his laptop being one. And in his laptop, that's where... It's all of I his guess, research. It's all his research. And, obviously, Ernst goes through, like, really... He goes down a really dark hole and starts to, like, research all these really problems things that are happening in our world and I think he then finds out that his church company Abundant Life is connected to Balk Industries which is a main contributor to some of the issues we're having yeah, per- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, con- concerning yeah, pollution, yeah. which there is a really nice moment where he is showing children around the church and explaining to them how historically the church was related to um, the Underground Railroad, which was getting enslaved people out of the South into the North just before the American Revolution. And uh, this sort of syncs up beautifully. He's incredibly compassionate. It's a very beautiful scene where yeah. he sort of explains to these children the significance of that moment in a way that's easy for children to digest and understand. I guess the- there was definitely some light in the shade. There, there was yeah. some light in the shade and then after that, that's when he starts trying to use the church as a vehicle for change, for mm. like, putting up the signs out the front, you know, will God forgive us in relation to will God forgive us for what we've done to the planet. I think suddenly he, and this is the thing that also made me shed some of my cynicism as to the fact that there was a church in this movie. I had to sort of like, you know, suck it up and go okay, so the church is a community platform that is incredibly useful for a lot of people. An important role of that if used correctly has been to make productive change within the community and through that hopefully ripple out and become a larger change in the world so the fact that he tried to do that i think and then he got some pushback he got some pushback from the minister at abundant life yeah and from balk industries because um the first reformed church they're having a 250 year anniversary yes and once they find out that ernst actually held a funeral for michael after his suicide they get really offended because essentially michael his final request was he wanted his ashes to be scattered at a um was it like a polluted it was, it was a it was a polluted bay it was a polluted bay and it was it was a political statement um it got in the newspaper and obviously michael gasson he's the actor that plays edward Bauck, he finds out that this has happened and he 
pretty much says to the minister at Abundant Life, played by Cedric the Entertainer, he says, hey, with with this um, 250-year anniversary set up, there can't be anything political brought up. Which, which, yeah. which, which again, is just his way of trying to not have a conflict of interests for him because, at the end of the day, it is a political venture for him because he's invested in the company that is causing this pollution. So he just doesn't want the church to make a stance against something that he's invested yeah, in. Yeah, but it also, like, I think it underlines the hypocrisy because really, oh, absolutely, absolutely. because the church is preaching, well, we need to show love and respect for God's creation, but then at the same time, Abundant Life has partnered with this corporation which is destroying parts well, of the environment and then that's where the hypocrisy kind of Well, it, it, like shows, it shows in, the yeah. individual's um, motivations for being involved in the church, whether that be as spiritual guidance and comfort for people in the community, which is the mm. priest, or whether it is as um, a business venture or money laundering or a, a sway, have to have sway over the community, which is potentially some of the other characters. Also, I think that the way that, what's his name again? The priest? Ernst. Ernst. The way that Ernst's body is treated in the film, the way that he ignores and covers up and then in a very superficial way tries to make change to his health issues mm. until it's almost too late and then he starts going to the doctor and wanting to do things about it. For me, that felt kind of like a metaphor for how we treat the earth. We get it to a point and we just ignore all the problems with it until suddenly we're like, okay, we need to start making changes. But there's that scene where he's got the whiskey and he's pouring the Pepto-Bismol into the whiskey. So the thing that's stripping his stomach, he's also putting the stomach medicine in. There seems to, I don't know, for me... No, that's beautiful. That, 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 that actually things. makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I think, like like I said, my main issue with these characters is they kind of, they were accepting their depressing lifestyles. Like, Ernst is, is happy with working at a isolated 250 year old church where no one attends and he just like writes in a journal every day. I think I think happy is a strong sermons. term. I think that he'd already like he'd already given up on life because his son died. Absolutely. He, he decided to join the priesthood and serve the community because his life was over. But how could you go on like that? And then also like Mary. Well he drank like, himself to sleep like, every like, night. Don't get me wrong Amanda Seyfried was amazing in that role. She I, I think she, she did but really she, well but she, she didn't did. have much to work with. Well though. and that's the thing. She was an incredibly sympathetic character that yeah. had nothing to work with because she was so passive through the entire, entire thing. film and also did that relationship this is what I also want to know did that relationship have to be romantic because in the yeah. end Ernst and Mary they end up getting involved with each other romantically and I don't know it kind of felt a bit unnecessary I don't think well, it needed to go there so for me I really I enjoyed the scene where they were lying on top of each <laughs> that other that was beautiful that, that's, because, like, because that's it, why you'd watch the well, film for that scene alone because it, that scene's amazing but it wasn't romantic that's what I liked well, yeah. I mean it was romantic in the you know the classical sense of the term romance it was but two it humans connecting with one another it, it, exactly breathing at the same time and, kind of looking into each other's souls and I was cons and zooming out of themselves and yeah. having perspective on the earth and I I, I liked that that scene was not, they did, I was terrified they were going to start kissing because I thought what a waste of a beautiful scene. Now at the end of the scene where he's wants to put on the suicide vest, yeah. spoiler alert, and blow up the church full of the hypocrites, do an old um, inglorious bastards on a the bit, church. A bit zero to one hundred for me personally. You kind of have Ernst who begins the film as someone that's kind of given up a bit, but you know going on to his day to day business to, okay, I'm going to strap a bomb vest on myself and, and kill all these people because now I care about the, the environment and the world. I was like, that's a bit zero to 100. Well, I think for me, no, that made sense. Really? Me, yeah, because I think that the, mm. I think he finds out that he is going to die and I think he's, he, oh. I think he's, he zooms out of himself and he... But does he get the test results for... I think it's in pretty much implied. He's talking about the issues with health insurance and he seems pretty sick. Okay. Um, but I think he realises that there's not much that he... 
like he wants to use the church as a vehicle of positive change and then he i think he becomes hopeless in the moment Mm -hmm. and wants to make change in a drastic way so he views blowing himself up in a church full of people he thinks is hypocritical as something that could make change that's where i i mean i wrote down furiously my pretentious notes about how extremism isn't activism because you're not going to change anyone's mind through a violent action you're only going to hurt people and also cement those who are already against you as saying well look this is just crazy people that disagree with me but then of course at the end amanda's character shows up so he starts essentially flagellating himself and hurting himself in a very catholic way yeah because she's at the service and, and, and he wasn't going to be at the her. service then the film closes with her coming into the room and, and they making start making out, out. Yeah. that made sense to me metaphorically because the whole film was about coming to the brink of giving up and death and destruction but then and love then, will save you well hope will save you and that's what she represented even the fact that she was pregnant the next generation the fact that things can go on you know even like the, the kind of the metaphor from mother is that she is she's everything he Mm. lost he lost his wife he lost his child and then this is sort of the idea of that renewing and starting again the reason i thought that was gross is people are people people are not symbols unless Mm. everyone in the film was symbolic i didn't like the fact that yeah the female characters in this film were pretty thin and felt like that they were just driving metaphor yeah no no i i totally get that i don't to be honest i think the ending would have been a lot more effective if instead of the kiss it was more she goes in And they look into each other's eyes and maybe hold hands. I think that would have been more powerful than making it some romantic relationship. I I don't know. I I think maybe it was an indie film and they had the money men breathing down their throats and they said, look, we need a kiss with Amanda, what's her name? Amanda Seyfried. Amanda Seyfried or or this is Exactly, with Ethan Hawke, because we need something to sell on the poster. I don't know. Um, Did you know that the cinema I worked at, Golden Age Cinema and Bar, was the only cinema in Australia to show this film? I can't imagine. I thought people would have been rushing to see this film as, a, you know, relaxing holiday um, escapism. No, I mean, I, I didn't know that. And it's, it's. I can see why it's a bit of a gamble. Um, really? But it's, it's literally Taxi Driver, but with environmental issues and with a priest. But I think where Taxi Driver, with a priest, I think where Taxi Driver, like, burns hot and hard, this film... So you like Taxi Driver? Yes. Okay. This film was very muddy and dark and and just so these are your final thoughts because i'm about to ask you what your final Please, thoughts no, no, are let, the let's, yeah, do, yeah, let's, let's dive into it because yeah, i feel yeah, like yeah, we've yeah, yeah. we, we, splashed on yeah so what are like your final thoughts is pretty much that what you've said it's very muddy what was your favorite part of the film well i want to say the scene where they sort of are lying on top of each other astral projecting through the beautiful parts of the world and then have to face the pollution the pollution but really the my favorite part of the film were the were the moments in the film that changed my preconceptions of the film because i was the film was so dark and depressing i was very much stroppy at the very beginning of it going oh this is just a sooky film and they're like fuck you quaid for making me watch this a little bit Um, (laughs) but as we went along long and I and I started to take more from it and give it more credit I was it was sort of took me down a peg and I'm like okay no this this is going somewhere and I'm glad that I'm watching it and but can you also see why I chose it for the theme because the theme it's is pollution tonight appropriate. so you think it's yeah yeah so I'd get there I'd get there the oh you nailed Beautiful. it no, perfect perfect choice who was the most sympathetic character gosh the, the <laughs> you most you could say no one like oh no I mean there were look 
I've this is this this is the thing. I think that a lot of the characters were sympathetic in the sense that yeah. you understand the anxieties of those characters. Like, and to be fair, the actors did such a good job, even, especially the one who played Esther. I was going to say Victoria even Hill, Esther was she super, nailed it. The scene where she's singing in the church, yes, like, that was powerful. Was so and heartbreaking too. You know, I and and she was meant to be a grating character that like yeah. weren't. I don't. I'm, I don't think you weren't necessarily supposed to like, but would have been easy not to like. You know why I didn't like her? Why? Because she reminds me of someone. Ooh. And you probably know who. All I'm gonna say Shays, is- we'll beep it out. I'll say, no, no, an old housemate I used to live with. Oh! Oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, we got that. We can we can have that on the record, because I didn't say which housemate. I've no, lived with many different housemates. Many, many, yeah, many, many, many housemates. used to sing in church. <laughs> <laughs> sing in church. But, um, yeah, I, I did love that song, Have You Been Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? That, that was, was powerful. See, well, have you been washed in the blood of the lamb, David? I mean, listen, <laughs> have you? <laughs> um. The Lamb Massacre. No, I don't know. I, I, that was the part of the film where I just thought, my goodness, this is objectively so creepy. Like, just take a step out of it and imagine we don't understand the Christian symbolism. That song is so bizarre if you didn't know what the <laughs> blood of the, the lamb, lamb is. Exactly. You know what's funny? I think right now we, we've, like, started this podcast talking more about religion than we actually have pollution. So I think in that sense, I have failed in the movie choice, in the movie selection, because obviously a big part of it is the pollution aspect, but there is is such a big religious aspect of the film. I feel like I took a lot of notes on this issue and failed to articulate most of them, just because I guess it is also a matter that we are in the heart of and is so important. And I think something else that does need to be addressed is the fact mm. that the depression and hopelessness that the, the character who commits suicide Michael, suffers from, yeah. yeah, it is something that um, is, I mean, I wish I'd looked up the numbers on this, but it is a, you know, a bit of an epidemic at the moment of especially younger people experiencing depression to the point where they can't leave the home because of the sense of powerlessness and hopelessness for the future because oh really yes so absolutely. as in people who are like passionate about about environmental activism not even passionate about it but understand that the future the issues the, yeah. w the way we are going and the people that have the power to make change and are not because it comes down to the you know the fight the the dollar at the end of the day which is yes. like in the film and that's will the film. not make those changes because they they're thinking next 15 20 years and you know will they exactly. line their pockets they're not thinking long term so people that are either compassionate enough to care about the planet or want to have children or have children or are children are, are paralyzed a lot of times with this absolute fear and powerlessness because of what's happening. So it's an incredibly relevant theme. And you know what? To be fair, the film didn't fail. I did because I didn't give that uh, the weight that it deserved. I just bitched and moaned about the fact that the main character was a priest. I think what the movie does very well also, it, what it does really well is that the film also reflects how, as a society, we're very good at brushing issues under the rug and not addressing them. So that being Ernst not getting help, the help he needed for exactly. his own personal health. And that's also with these environmental issues. Like, no one wants to do anything because everyone's actually so scared to address not even the elephant in the room, but the truth. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what the, where the film really does work. And part of that is fear, and part of that is the enormity of these issues and not wanting to have to face them. But then maybe that's why we're not even talking about pollution. Maybe really, that's because, it. because it's that intense. Where the, we, yeah, exactly. where the problem, David? Where the problem? Oh, look, I know where the problem. Gosh. Yeah. Anyway, let's go film. to the next question. Yeah. yeah. Who was the most sympathetic character? You pretty much said that you can't really answer that. Which yeah. Is so across fair. the board, I think all of them did an amazing job. I felt for most of the characters, apart from the characters that were intentional nasty um like the evil people eating sushi who 
what yeah. word is. Yep. And then you've pretty much answered the question about where did it fail because you've essentially said you failed in terms of not really, I guess, grasping the themes of pollution from the film because you were so fixated on the fact that the main character not. I mean, to be fair, I think that it's, it is the sort of film that will sit with you and you'll digest over time. Definitely. And because I stuck with the film, which I'm glad I did, my cynicism was washed off because I was worried that the film's representation of people that were concerned with the environment are irrational and selfish people. But it turned out that that was just a way of representing the hopelessness that can be felt by people who are isolated by the weight of concern around this issue. Yeah. I did not articulate that well. So no, let's move on. No, I get it. Um, so I guess in the end, did you enjoy the film? How many stars would you give it out of five? I no, know you don't like okay. to give ratings. Those are two separate questions. Did I enjoy the film? Uh, no. I oh, did shit, I'm so sorry. No, no, I made no, you watch no, no, it. No, no. I haven't enjoyed it. No, I need ah. to no, I need to explain this. Um, it was a bit like doing a spin class. I didn't enjoy it and I kept trying to think of reasons to get out of it, but I'm glad I did it afterwards and I feel better having done it. So I'm glad I watched it. I would recommend this film. Really? Yes, definitely. I think that it is a good movie. I do think it's a good movie. I mm. I'm glad I watched it. I didn't enjoy it. Look, I would give <laughs> It, no one asked three you. Point, I would give the film a 3.75 star. Out of 10? Out of No, out of 5. Because <laughs> apparently you should rate movies out of 5 stars, not oh, really? 10. Yeah, I've heard. So oh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd give it 3.5. 3.5? Okay, I'm giving it 3.75 out of 5. Alright, you liked it more. Okay. By, by like, what, 15 points? 0.15. Mm. Um, anyway, so I guess we should go on now to the film that David picked for us. Yes. I, I, I... <laughs> the more fun and happy one. Oh, look, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that this film is just as bleak at the end because... But I, I have issues I need to talk to you about I this think film. we all have <laughs> issues, so let's discuss... Fern Gully is a film about... Uh, Stop. That's not the full title of the film, Dave. No, you're right, sorry. It's Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, uh-huh. and it came out in 1992. Which is a bit of a misnomer. It's not The Last Rainforest. It came out in 1992. We're going to come... directed it? <sighs> Bill Croyer. <laughs> and it, it definitely has a bit of a star cast. Okay, so Fern Gully follows the narrative of a group of fairies who live in Fern Gully, which is a the rainforest European name given to a rainforest region in New South Wales in Australia. Oh, um, is it the Daintree Forest? Apparently, because the rumours were that the rainforest was based off the Daintree Forest. Yeah, it's an actual place. Yeah, I know it's an actual place. Yeah. Well, for, as in Fern Gully is an actual place. Yeah. Oh, where is it? It's, um, hang on, I've got it on a map. How have we not gone to Fern Gully before? <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's, it's up near Byron. I'm ready to go. Anyway, uh, carry on, sorry, well, should be interrupting. No, that's okay. It, it opens with Krista, uh, played by Samantha Math- Mathis. Mathis. She's a charming, beautiful, very 90s looking fairy with a fashionable haircut, and she's hanging out with her grandma. Oh, it's not her grandma. I don't think it's grandma, her grandma. It's like the wise witch yeah. of the fairy tribe. Exactly, but as a kid, I always thought of her as grandma. Um, telling her about the history of how pollution threatened to destroy the rainforest, but through the spirit uniting they manage to bind the the essence of pollution into a tree then we find out that there is a young man named Zach who is 16 years old has a mullet and Quade has a terrible crush on we'll get to that later we'll get we'll get to that later that's a whole other anyway he's marking trees with X's for um, a company that he's working for as his summer job to (laughs) clear the bushland when Krista comes across him by accident and trying to save his life from a falling tree accidentally shrinks him down and turns him into 
to a person the size of a fairy. Yeah. He goes on a magical adventure with her <laughs> and Batty the Bat, played by Robin Williams. May he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. I think one of my pieces of trivia is he gave them something like 14 hours of improv to cut into the movie. He really oh. did. Yes, he did a lot with this. 14 hours? Yeah. I mean, I have so much respect for him because in the same year, because this film came out in 1992, obviously Aladdin also came out and it would be so jarring playing the genie and that movie really... It's part of the Disney renaissance. It was a big sellout. That movie did really well. And then you do Fern Gully, which is, uh, like, I don't think had the same sort of impact. Well, here you go. I was worried um, that I lied and made that up. But Robin Williams provided 14 hours, hours worth of improvised lines for Batty Coda. Uh, director Bill Croyer was so impressed with the voice work that he ended up tripling the scene time given to the character, which was originally supposed to be an eight-minute role. So this, this was Robin... Well, it was Robin Williams' first animated role. Lady, he went on to oh, be the genie. He did it before Genie. He did before. Same year as the genie. Same year as the genie. Yeah. But before it. So I have to say, I have so much respect for any animated company during that time that had the balls to go up against the House of Mouse because they <laughs> are, especially during the 90s renaissance where Disney was like at one of its biggest like moments in history. Um, so the other uh, A-list, in my opinion, voice actor in this is the gentleman who plays the evil villain. Oh, yes. Now, but you need to explain the villain. So because... the, the villain is Hexus, Tim, yep. Tim Curry, who I guess is, I would describe him as the spirit or the essence of pollution. Pollution, yeah. The one they trap in the tree. So when the, yep. that tree gets cut down, he escapes and inhabits the uh, machine that is used to clear the land, the leveller. Um, it's called, and he sort of possesses it, and it becomes this more thing, powerful, more powerful, and this thing that threatens the rainforest. Now, Quaid, before we go any further, yeah. I think that there is an elephant in the room that we need to discuss. Oh, what's the elephant in the room? The elephant in the room is that the last time I watched this film, it came out in 1992. Yes, I was four in 1992. <gasps> we had this on VHS. Oh, um, I watched it a lot, but okay. I probably didn't watch it much after I was six or seven. Got you, Quaid. I forgot how this movie started. Well, David, I'm actually really happy you bring up the start of the film because I I honestly, I think I only watched Fern Gully once when I was really, really young and then I never watched it again. If anything, I actually watched the shitty direct-to-video sequel more than I actually had watched the original. So, in the opening sequence of this film, when Maggie, her name's Maggie, like Maggie Noodles, she's the elder, the wise woman of the, this fairy tribe, she's explaining, like, the history of Ferngully and how it used to work with the, the people. And I was so impressed of what they include in the, in the cave. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know how I feel about it. So Got the, you. the opening scene, while she is explaining her origin myth for how they trapped Hexus, Hexus into in the tree. tree, they use, uh, I guess, what can be described as... Indigenous artwork. Indigenous cave yeah. paintings and artwork to illustrate the story. Yeah. Now... So you're anti it. Well, listen... <laughs> I think that Australia has a pretty problematic history of projecting white narratives onto indigenous places and yes. hijacking the significance of those places yeah. and the stories that are there. I believe that they had the best intentions while making this movie. Did they maybe collaborate with an elder? No, this is the thing. Okay, yeah, see that's no where I guess was, the issue No one is. was consulted. Yeah. The, 
road to hell is paved in good intentions. Yeah. I don't mean to be too cynical on this one point, but I also think that it's significant to acknowledge the fact that we've come a long way since then and have a long way to go as far as this thing is concerned. Although it could be shrugged off as, why won't you just let me enjoy my childhood? I think that that is dismissive of a behavior that erases First Nations culture and stories. I think that we need to at least point out the fact that especially part of the story being mm. that mankind is the bane on that part of the world and is destroying it. I think the irony is that it was settlers and colonization that destroyed. But, the, but I thought that's what they were referencing though, because they had said at the beginning that the fairies had worked with the people who they were um, implying were the indigenous people. And then it says later on, in the future, years and years after, humans started to turn against us. And then that's when the picture of all the indigenous artwork disappeared. Well, then, so that, that's, that what, case, I, that's well, what I thought. I thought they were implying after colonization, that is when everything went to shit. You know what? If that's what the message was, then I... I could be... I don't want to say that that is 100% factual. I'm just saying from my interpretation, my perspective of watching the film, I just noticed that they included all this indigenous um, cave paintings. And then as soon as it says, but years later, the people didn't work with the fairies anymore and they didn't work anymore to look after the forest. And that's when all the, the imagery of the indigenous paintings disappeared. Hey, so well, I took that as, oh, they're, they're implying colonization then started and destroyed everything. If that's the thing that they're implying, yeah. then I I, th I would like to, yeah, I, I think that hopefully it's- Yeah, but they should have, like I said, they should have collaborated with an indigenous elder if you're going to include that in your narrative. I, I, I yeah. just, I think I, again, I don't want to be too damning on this point. Yeah. Um, but I think that because the location of it being so specific to an actual place, mm. I feel like it could have been treated with more sensitivity and nuance. Again, I understand the timing when it was made. Also, the fact I'm pretty sure it was an American production. And it was a joint production between Americans and Australians. I found it hilarious that all of the actual Australians in the yeah. film sounded like they yeah, were from there Queens. Were no, it, was it was so hilarious. weird because I was like, this film's set in Australia, but none of these characters' accents are Australian. It's all American. And it's funny because I always get so annoyed about how with like how America has this like stereotypical idea of what an Australian man should look like, which is Zach. Like no wonder they have this idea because it's always been perpetuated since since back in the day. You have this like beautiful muscular surfing looking dude with like long a, a long blonde mullet. And, and don't get me wrong, it worked for me. I oh, was I mesmerized. Feel, I feel by like Zach. I know seven Zachs. Like and he he looks like a Byron Bayer, and it says on his ID that the, he's from. Byron but Bay. can we please start playing the funeral music? I was like. <laughs> passionately, you know, in love with this Zack character. And then when Krista, the fairy, gets out his wallet to look at, I don't know, she wasn't checking his ID because she doesn't know what the fuck a wallet is. She was just looking at the wallet and it like all this stuff, all these she, cards she roll out. She was also checking to see if he was legal. Yeah, all these cards roll out and then it says that he's 16. And I'm sorry, but like, he does not look 16. He looks like he's in his like mid to late 20s. So forgive me for having the hots for him. I obviously felt so disgusted and ashamed in myself. I'm like, this guy is 16. I'm he, some he was, creepy he, he was 1992, 16. He was smoking a pack of Winnie Blues every day. It was, well, it was a different thing. time. Well, that's the We could look at the movie as, was this all a dream? Was Zach high? Also, I just want to say for the record, if you're Zach, who's 16 years old, who lives in Byron Bay, and you decide for your summer job to go cut down trees, I feel like everyone from your neighbourhood would fucking hate it you. It was pretty funny that he refers to the fact that he's a city kid. I'm like, is Byron Bay... He does. He's like, but yeah. Then again, I think that goes to show that there was a bit of miscommunication. Like, no research where done. It was made. So, before we 
Before we go on to the next bit, I just want to quickly say, mm. so the film specifies a location called Mount Warning. Mount Warning is the name given to the mountain by Captain James Cook. Oh. The traditional owners of the land, the Bunjalung people, who observed cultural and traditional restrictions forbidding the uninitiated from climbing the mountain. And as, oh, wow. as, as such, asked others not to attempt to climb the mountain. Mm. That's just to highlight the point that there were people prior to European settlers. They had a place name for it. The place was called Wollombin, uh, and it roughly translates as Big Fellow Mountain. Now, oh, wow. the mountain itself has significance to the custodians of the land, and it's significant in the area is contextual depending on directions of observation, gender, and status of whoever is telling the story about the area. That's to acknowledge the fact, again, that you know these places have a pre-existing cultural significance of course. to us projecting narrative on top of them. I just wanted to get that in there. Well, now let's talk about how sexy Zach is. Yeah, look, but before we go into that, I will say I was very impressed by all the character designs. I thought the character designs were very iconic looking. They looked at they were memorable, like Krista with her short black hair, juxtaposed with her red pixie dress. Zach, obviously, you know, those muscles, she that mullet, that singlet. Of, um, what's her name? Who's like, like um, you know, I'm a lot of things. This is how I feel. Oh, um, oh, torn. Yeah. Um, Natalie Imbruglia. Yeah, Natalie Imbruglia. Imbruglia. Yeah. Natalie Imbruglia. Okay, I didn't quite get that, but I'll, I'll give you that. But even like, but it was all... such a '90s aesthetic. Um, and, that, and that's what I do love about who's the fairy it's with so the red hair. Like... '90s Pip. Yeah. Pip. See, I want to get into this now. Oh, you don't like Pip? My, no, my issue with the film was there were so many superfluous characters. So many of them were paper thin and unnecessary. To be honest, the only characters that I like Pip. Pip was cool, but his one, his main reason for being in that film was to size up Zack when he meets Zack, and then... So he should, he's the outsider, he's not to be trusted. I know, but like, I don't know, Pip just doesn't do anything. Even Batty, played by Robin Williams, his sole purpose in that film is to catch the other characters when they fall. I, that is the sole also purpose. He's comic relief. Speaking he's, of which, can we, I think that this film's it's got some bangers in it. Like, mm. good songs. The song that the lizard sings when he's about to eat, eat him. him. Okay, yes. So I love that. You no, know, funnily enough, that is the song I love the most out of all the songs. Yeah. But no one mentions that song. They all mention Hexes' song that which, Tim which Curry sings. Apparently they had to re-record re it because it was too, too sexy. sexy. It was too sexy. Tim Curry is just so freaking sexy in everything that he is. <laughs> apparently even as, so. Even as Poison. Also, apparently he was too scary for children in the original recording, so they had to get him back in and be less scary. But I remember as a kid, like, being so... As an adult, you watch it and you're sort of not necessarily paying attention, but as a kid, it was visceral. You know when you're a kid, you're excited because you're scared? He was a scary character. But even, like, even Hex I feel like he was just such a crappy villain. He got defeated because Krista and Zack turn, turn a key. Well, they turn a key and then his powers are depleted because he is this parasite that lives on destruction. If he's living on destruction, that is when he's powerful. But if anything comes between that, he'll just straight away, like die. Again, I remember as a kid that being such a visceral scene where you know, he's such a powerful foe and then you know, because they're so small and the key's so big, it's such a massive yeah, it's mission a bit of a, it's to a, achieve. It's an obstacle. And then, yeah. yeah, I watch it again as an adult and I'm like, oh, they that just, was, just turned it off. They, yeah, they turned it off and then he's <laughs> over. I, I did find, what I did find interesting is going back to the character designs, love the character de designs, but I thought the characters a lot of them were kind of 
pointless. Even the Beetle Boys, I love the design of the Beetle Boys, but again, like, they did not need to be in the film. Also, Krista's father was more useless than Jasmine's father from Aladdin. Okay, Krista's like, father, I agree with you. He didn't need to he be didn't there. Do anything. What was he doing there? I like the Beetle Boys. I like the I Beetle love Boys. the Beetle Boys too because they look so cool, but exactly. Bit, they, but see, they look like they look like spirits. Like they're not. But just... also, like Maggie? Like, this is what I don't get. Maggie, who's played oh. by Grace Zabriskie. She now, just dissolves. No, but this is the thing. She knows that there is impending danger, and the yeah. stakes are very, very high. They're about to lose their home. And she does nothing. Yeah. She does fuck all nothing until the very end. She doesn't she, warn she, she, she dies. She doesn't educate yeah. anyone. And then trouble happens. So she goes, bye now. Yeah, just goodbye. Like, you're about to lose your home. I know that I'm the old wise lady who's been protecting you guys. But hey, like, goodbye. Like, just trust in yourself. I was like, um, are you going to do any, anything, Maggie? And I, I don't know. That was all very weird. I think my issue with the film was there isn't much flow on effect in the, the plot. Like, the... Also, the characters don't really have a strong objective that they're... And as I said before, the stakes are very, very high. They're about to lose their home, but it's kind of like, oh, I, yeah, we're just, like, here for the ride, and I whatever happens, happens. For and me, the character development that is important is Zach, because oh, he's yes. a human. And he's, he's the, the human. one that realised the moment where he touches the tree and feels the pain off it and suddenly understands... And he's the one that notices. He can smell the diesel and the water. He feels the pain on the tree that's being cut. It, the penny drops. Like you said, maybe yeah. it is a trip. Maybe he took mushrooms and suddenly goes, nature <laughs> is talking to me. I That'd understand. be more realistic. But, but, well, I mean, we know plenty of people in Byron that have had that experience. And then you can see he has that moment. You know, he starts off and he's spraying the trees and he's just chucking the cans as he goes. Yeah. The penny drops and he understands that he needs to be doing better. And I think that, as opposed to the film that we were talking about before where a gentleman blew his brains out because mm. he was like, there's nothing I can do... The message of this film is each of us can make a difference by being aware and making change. Well, the message, the main message of the, th the film that kept on being repeated over and over again is all the magic of creation exists within a single tiny seed. That line was said like five, six times during exactly. the film. Exactly. I was like, like Amanda I get it. being pregnant I in the get first it. film. Yeah. All it, of creation exists in a seed inside of her. Oh, well, look, I, like, I, I totally get that. And I, where am I, look, where am I even going with this? I, where are you going, Wade? I want to talk about the animation because I feel like the people that are going to want to watch this film are the people who have a deep appreciation for 2D animation and its history. I feel like if you don't give a fuck about those things, this is probably not the movie for you. Because, because I'm under those two things. Like, I love 2D animation. I love its history. I had such a good time watching this film. I really enjoyed it. The, the, the scenery, the scenery backdrops were so beautifully well, not just the scenery, done. but the soundscapes no, as no, well. Yes, like, now I want to talk about that. So, the, the, the person that composed the soundtrack was Alan Silvestri, and holy shit, if there's going to be one thing about that film that carried that film, it was that soundtrack. But, oh, yeah, that I soundtrack was phenomenal. It was ethereal, it was epic, it made me feel something. It was great, a very powerful soundtrack. soundtrack. But also soundscape, like the you know the galahs in the background, the lyrebirds, like the, yes, the sound that sounds yes. like the Australian bush, it hits you on a, especially if you know those sounds, it hits you on such a visceral home level. You're like, oh my god, I know this place, which again is why suddenly when someone, you know, you hear the Queen's accent in the background. Yeah, it was a bit, it's, like, it's like, shut up, Maggie. <laughs> but also, like, I loved that scene. There is a scene where in the Krista, water? well, yeah, there's a few, I'll go, Krista, like, there's a scene where she flies out into the desert land and she flies through all these grass trees. And I don't know, for me, it was so, like, jarring seeing a fairy in an Australian landscape because I don't really put a fairy with Australia. I put a fairy more with, like, a European 
kind of setting. So it, it was it was so cool seeing a fairy, you know, fly around the grass trees, um, swim with a platypus. Um, there's that so, scene where Zach, he is jumping on these mushrooms that are glowing in the dark that are like attached to a tree. And it was just, it was a very, there were some very beautiful moments in the film. It was... So the, Australia, yeah. the Australian romance period, there was a lot of that going on where in the 1930s you have people like, what's his name? Rupert Bunny. And, who's Rupert Bunny? Uh, he's a painter. You, he stuff's at the Art Gallery in New South gotcha. Wales where he paints a lot of um, European-centric mythology like fairies and mermaids and um, uh, the like in, in the Australian... In an Australian setting? In Australian Oh, okay, you're going to have to show me that. Uh, the Australian I, Symbolist, sorry. It's called The Australian I'm, Symbolist. I'm going to have to look at that. That sounds... I, I'm, it's right up your alley. It is right up my alley. And I do want to say... The film alone is worth watching for that that one scene between Krista and Zach where they're flying through, I think they're glowworm caves. Yeah, and then they're swimming in the water. They're, and they're swimming in the water and then there's a, a song that's played over it by Sheena Easton called A Dream Worth Keeping. And it was such a 90s moment. It reminded me also so much of like the film Splash with Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah. Like in the end, it's the two lovebirds swimming to her mermaid kingdom to this like a beautiful romantic song. And I don't know, it just, it kind of took me to that. And that scene alone is so beautiful. As a kid, I actually had a Krista like doll. (gasps) It was like, yeah. And and I used to have her in the bath and wet her hair like from that scene. I'm like, she's in the water. Oh my God. (laughs) And that bit where Zach comes out of the water and he flicks his hair back forth i'm like he's 16 quite. i know i know and that's why i'm like so devastated why have these filmmakers done this to me it's like, for children quite. i know i know but still it breaks my heart what year were you born i was born two years after this film yeah i was now. gonna say it's fine he could be your daddy yeah he, true he, he could, could be, be my daddy, daddy. Yeah. but i feel like zach now I, I feel so bad for him because i feel like he's in byron bay right now telling everyone hey guys like i promised you like there was this time where i was shrunk down by this fairy and i helped them save the last rainforest Wait, I and they're you, probably he's... and they're probably all saying to him hey man that sounds like a really good trip like Wait, he's, he was... he's in byron bay they're all believing him like yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're trying to match his story we're something. sorry if we've offended anyone in byron bay yeah they're not listening to this quaid they're too busy trying to plug in their coconuts or whatever and i just want to go to one last thing i want to go back to the the, the songs now my issues with songs is again like the some of the characters felt very superfluous because i feel like in a musical when you can no longer express what you're feeling inside through simply talking you have to sing and i didn't quite get that in the film they were kind of singing for the sake of singing and that's why for me it didn't the songs didn't work oh for me it did okay it just for you it did into it for you it did I liked it I liked the music also you were talking from an animation point of view Mm. Um, the only digitally animated scene was the bat rap Really? Mm. But what, no, and also there would have been uh, the, what's it called? The logging machine? Oh, I don't know. I just read the trivia. Hang on. Let me see what this, let me see what it says. But also like, I feel like Krista, I feel bad because even her character, it felt so paper thin. Like her whole narrative was just asking questions like, how can you live without trees? But the trees, oh my oh, goodness, the trees. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, okay, we get it. She loves nature. There's a lot more to Krista, I'm sure. Well, yeah, she does seem a bit like a wide-eyed sort of like, the whole world is a mystery. Like, the fact that she doesn't know what smoke is at the beginning. Um, A common criticism this movie faced, even Mm. to this day, despite the message of saving the trees, it was animated, which means that a lot of trees would have been used to make the paper to animate the movie. Oh, but that's so ridiculous, because I'm sorry, but in even a live-action film, I'm sure they're using paper for the scripts. Like, fuck off. Exactly. That is ridiculous. The the end justifies the means, and the fact that, you know, we've we've made so many changes because of this movie. I love the end of, um, they have a 
a thing at the end saying what the movie's dedicated to, and it says, for our children and our children's children. Mm -hmm. And that was really beautiful. I also want to say, did anyone notice something really cool? Am I allowed to play it quickly on my phone, David? Is it the, the closing song? The closing song. Is oh, my, my God. Elton the closing John? song is by Elton John. Isn't that and weird? No, it's not weird because he has actually sung for two other animated films. So The Lion King, which was two years later. Yeah. And The Road to Eldorado. And The Road to Eldorado. He yeah. sings the opening and that came out in the year 2000. And I'm not going to lie. I like the song. The song the song goes off. I was at the gym the other day and when I finished, I was like, hmm, I'm going to walk home and I want to listen to that song again because it was so so upbeat. Even though the ending was quiet, it ended on quite a an, an emotional note. It was um I really liked it. What did or did you not like the song? Oh yeah, it was a great song. It, like I said, this this movie has a good soundtrack. Well, yeah, and going back to that, look, the film fails in the screenplay, but what it doesn't fail in is the emotion that it evokes. Now, I don't know if it was because it was early in the morning when I watched this film, but that scene where Krista flies up, like above the tree foliage and she looks out and sees that so much of the forest has now been destroyed. M my heart, like it dropped. I, oh, it, I felt, it I felt it something. It I felt it pain. I was like, this is devastating. This, this beautiful, innocent fairy is seeing her, her home like destroyed. And I, I, I it, it just, the music, the, the, Oh, everything. I don't know. It, it made me feel something. Keeping with the environmental theme, the film's poster was printed on recycled paper and merchandise used environmentally conscious packaging. There you go. Did you know that the producer of the film is He's married... A tree. <laughs> no, the producer of the film is married to the lady who wrote the children's book, Fern Gully. I didn't know it was a children's book. Yeah, it was a children's book. Ah. Uh... Yeah. And so him and her were working together to get the film made. And oh. it was very hard during the the Bronze Age of Disney, the 70s and 80s. Uh, to because, compete with Disney. Because anime, no, because animated films back then weren't doing well. So they weren't getting oh, the shit. funding for it. But then okay. as soon as the Disney Renaissance happened in the 90s and animated films started becoming yeah, popular again, a slice of the pie. They, everyone wanted a slice of the pie. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that was like really cool. Sorry, I've like, I'm taking so long to play this song that Elton John saying at the end of the film. Here it is. I'm going to just get it to the chorus because I love it. Why is it not playing? Yeah, here we go. Yeah. I don't know. It it's goes a off. It's, it's a, a banger. banger. It's, it's a banger. banger. I like it. Um, yeah, it's a banger. Iconic lead. It's It's iconic. Um... Yeah. So, Quaid, I've got some questions. Yes, ask me the questions. Ask me the I questions. I will mix these questions up for okay, next week, cool. by the way, because I feel like we're going to go crazy if it's the same yeah. ones. Quaid, what was your favourite part? Look, the soundtrack. I would buy this on vinyl before I would buy it as a, like, on a, as a Blu-ray. I'd buy the vinyl You don't even have a record player. I, I need to buy a record player. But, yeah, yeah the, the soundtrack is phenomenal. It is... The soundtrack is beautiful. Also, look, the animation. There's some beautiful animated sequences. Yeah. Hmm. Who was the most sympathetic character? Zach. Zach. That child. That child. Yeah. So embarrassed. Quaid. Yeah. I know that it didn't because it's a masterpiece, but where did the film fail? I think the screenplay. The screenplay, like I said, there was no flow on effect. It was very paper thin. A lot of the characters were unnecessary. So I feel like in that sense, it, it kind of does fail. But look, it does get the message across. It definitely gets the message across. And I do want to say, David, 
I didn't really get a pollution I'm theme sure. from the film. I get a deforestation theme. If but you, that, but that's, but if, that's environmental. I know, I know, but it just I didn't get pollution. And he is Hexus, pollution. I know Hexus is like the living embodiment of pollution, but he's all yeah. bubbly and his lips, mm, so sexy. But like, do you feel like he was animated better than the other characters? Because I thought his character animation was a lot stronger than okay, the other characters. So I, I found this by accident on Instagram. Yeah. God bless. Um, <laughs> God bless Instagram. No, this, Love was, those this, ads. Was, this was weeks ago. I came across this yeah. by accident, but it was the character sketch and development sketches for Hexus. And can you buy it? What? Can you buy it? Can you buy the sketches? You can screenshot them. Oh, but you, um, you can buy the originals. They're <laughs> worth quite a bit. <laughs> I'm sure they're worth a lot. But it looks like a, like they've put a lot of effort and energy into it. You can tell the art department in that regard were doing that. And you can tell, like, you know, the fact that it's the sludge and it's all squeaky. And then he's got that the yeah. big chin and the big lips. That anima The animation of him was the standout. He The animation was really it strong. It was very visceral. Like, it got, it got the yeah, message Did across. you notice in the low light setting scenes, the, that's when the animation failed. Like, a lot of the characters felt very no. flat against their backdrops. I didn't mind that. Um, oh, really? Like, okay. the bit where they're with the glowworms in the water. No, no, that bit was fine. I'm talking about there's a very beginning part where oh, yes, it doesn't yeah. quite work. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. What's the next question? <laughs> Has the film dated? Were there any areas you found didn't quite hit the same? Apart from the fact that they depicted a child as so sexy that <laughs> it should now be on a Don't say show. child, that makes it creepy. He's a teenager, nearly 18. Too. Like, he had hairless armpits. So. Oh, stop, David. You're, you're making me... Oh. Anyway, no, um, look, the message is still loud and clear. The message is still very important. The message does come across because it yeah. made me feel something. It made me the feel like a shit human The thing is the message being. is just as relevant today. The, and that is why it's sad, because this came out in 1992. It's now 2022, which is like 30 years later. It's 30 and, years later. And we still haven't done anything. Actually, no, of course it's 30 years later. They are um, releasing the 30th anniversary of Fern Gully on Blu-ray. Will, will you be buying it? You can't get it in Australia. You will have to go and order it from America. Oh, well, that, I probably won't. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> Quaid, yeah. did you enjoy it? I, I, You know, I, I honestly did. I was so excited when you picked this movie because I was like, oh, I have only seen Fern Gully once when I was a child and I've always been meaning to revisit it. What's wrong with you? I only saw it once. It wasn't like, it wasn't... Why? I think my Why main... Why do you hate the environment? I don't hate the environment. I think my main childhood films that I rewatched over and over again was either The Little Mermaid or The Land Before Time. So mm. Fern Gully just didn't quite make it to that cup, but I did. I enjoyed it and I'll definitely revisit it again. I would give it a solid three stars out of five. I know that we're not rating, but I'm rating it. Okay, I would give it three out of five. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, yeah. No, it was, yeah, we, we enjoyed it. Anyway, I think it's gotten to that time of the night where we wrap up, but we're gonna pick our next theme. Yes. And because I picked it last week, I feel like you oh, should. Oh, I get to pick. You get to pick. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, what is the theme? Oh, shit. oh, shit, did you break the jar? I almost broke the it's vase. All, it's a vase jar. Vase. It could be, yeah. Okay. Right. okay. Oh my God, what is it gonna be? Can you count down for me? Um, like from 10? Oh, no, no, that's oh. probably too much. Five, four, three, Two, one. Oh my god, I don't want to look. I don't want to look. I'm oh freaking god, out. I'm freaking out. What is it? What is the theme? The theme is not living on Earth. What? David, how do I. Okay, whatever. Okay, so the theme is not living on Earth. Um, we will see you next week to talk about films that represent not living on Earth. Whatever the fuck that means. We need to talk about this, David. We'll talk about this. Quaid, before we, before we close up, I've got a question for you. We might not yeah. include this bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> Quaid, are there any movies coming out that you're excited about? Yes. Um, Aronofsky's The Whale with Brendan Fraser. I'm really excited to see. Um, also, Yorgos, I don't know how to say his name. He's my favourite 
Greek director who did oh and he's Greek like you. who did the favorite he did and the, the favorite Lobster. he's now doing another film with Joaquin Phoenix oh Joaquin Phoenix Joaquin Phoenix um and yeah those are like the two main ones I'm really excited about anyway should we wrap up you're so quick to get out of here all right well <laughs> I've enjoyed spending time with I've you. enjoyed spending time with you too David it's always a good time no worries all right thank you everyone thank you everyone for listening we love you we love you bye. Cinephile Paradiso is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Mm-hmm.